please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Continue to work our way through the book of Acts. As we do that, just want also, for those of you who are newer to our, our church, just to remind you this Saturday is our Discovering Bethany class. And so if you want to uh, pursue church membership or you just want to find out more about the church, I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that this, this Sunday at, at 9. And we're looking forward to, to seeing you there if you're able to do that. If you want to do that, just RSVP with Blake or Heather, and all that information is on our website, as is everything else that I usually say. All the correct things that I say are on the website, and so you can double-check. Oh, by the way, it is over uh, th- in this area, third through fifth grade teachers will be here to meet your, you and your, your kids afterwards. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, and if you're, if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together, remember Acts chapter 5, we've just seen the, the uh, death of Ananias and Sapphira, and now we come to verse 12. It says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns round Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we do ask again just your grace on us this morning. Lord, we know that uh, many of us are in need of of healing, both physical and spiritual, so we pray that you would, in your grace, uh, heal us. We pray for your, your kindness. We think this morning of, of those uh, who are in positions of, of leadership over us, and we pray that you would give them wisdom. We think of those who are in vis- very visible uh, places of leadership. We think of the president. We think of leaders of, of uh, Congress, we, both the House and the Senate. And then we think of our, our governor, Governor Pritzker, and we pray for him as he interacts with President Trump and with members of Congress and so forth. We just pray for, for wisdom for all of those very visible leaders in our lives. And we pray for even those uh, leaders who are more local and, and who labor with less attention. We think of our, our mayors and our city council members and, and those people. We pray that you just allow them to fulfill your purpose for a government, uh, the, a government that allows us to, uh, to live peaceful and quiet lives. And so we pray for peaceful and quiet lives for your people, that we would worship you well. We pray for our, our church leadership. We pray that we would be wise. We pray for the, the leaders of various ministries and families and just all uh, our, that our leadership would, would reflect spirit-fueled, spirit-empowered leadership. We pray this by your grace and open, open your words to us this morning through the work of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I received two articles recently from pastor friends, and I've mentioned before 
sometimes I'm hesitant to share these types of articles. They're the, they're the how tough it is to be a pastor genre of, of articles, and I, I hesitate sharing those sometimes. They're, I'm I'm drawn to them. You know, I I I resonate with them with some of them sometimes in 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 small degrees. But I'm 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 reluctant to share them for a couple reasons. One, there's there's a, a potential of a wrong impression that can be conveyed as I share articles like this. The, the impression might be that I I feel like I am in a tough ministry location and. As I've shared before, and, and hopefully you, you know that I, I truly believe this, uh, this church is a blessing to me, not the other way around. In terms of who receives the greater blessing, it's, it's, I'm, I am be, it's beyond my comprehension that I could be at a church like Bethany Community Church, and I, I, I truly believe that. And so sharing articles that talk about the tough things of pastoral ministry, sometimes I fear that that's going to convey the wrong impression. That I think I have a, a abnormally tough ministry position, and nothing could be further from the truth. And then also, I, I, I hesitate sharing those articles because, and I, I shared this with someone else this morning as they were talking about the, the tough things of pastoral ministry. I said, well, yeah, there are some tough things about pastoral ministry, but to share some of those tough things can make it imply that pastoral ministry is difficult and other ministries aren't, right? I, I have it tough, but you as a mom don't, or I have it tougher than you. And, and again, I think, that's, I think that's very silly. I don't, I don't think that's true. So I'm going I'm to share a little bit from these two articles, but with, that, with those caveats, recognizing that what is tough about what some people have gone through in pastoral ministry is, is illustrative of the difficulties of whatever ministry you're called to as well. Hope, I hope that makes sense. One article was... Uh, was from a friend, and it opened with the, some very striking words as this pastor shared with a group on a Zoom call that he had been thinking of, of harming himself. And by the way, if, if you're going through struggles where those sorts of thoughts are in your head, please, please talk to me or, or to someone. But this pastor shared on this Zoom call with 10 other pastors that that's where he was, and the person who wrote this article said, Four of the ten pastors shared that they had been having similar thoughts. And then the article talked about the different things that these pastors were going through in, in their different ministries. One pastor was just struggling with guilt because they had opened up the church and someone had come to church, gotten sick with COVID, and died. And so he was struggling with those, those feelings of guilt. Another pastor had just been fired and lost health insurance. Another pastor had had to lay off half the church staff. One pastor was talking about race relations one week, and after that Sunday, a, a, a disgruntled church member came to the church office and literally kicked his door off its hinges and challenged the pastor to a fist fight, which, let me just tell you, there is no glory in beating up a pastor. I mean, that's, that's low-hanging fruit, people, right? Another pastor had just done a survey in the church, and 50% had said they wanted to return to church immediately. 50% said, absolutely, we do not want to return to church immediately. And people on both sides of that even split had left comments saying, and if you do what we don't want you to do, we're leaving the church. And by the way, we've already stopped giving here. That's some of the stress that these people on this Zoom call were facing. That's just among 10 pastors. 
Another article was from uh, Tom Rainer's blog, and it was entitled, Six Reasons Your Pastor is About to Quit. And he began with, or this was one of the paragraphs, he said, please hear me clearly. The vast majority of pastors with whom our team communicates are saying they are considering quitting their churches. It's a trend I have not seen in my lifetime. Some are just weeks away from making an announcement. They're looking for work in the secular world. Some may move to vocational ministry or marketplace ministry, but they're on their way out. Now, I, I have no intention of, of quitting. You're going to have to fire me. That's, that's my plan uh, to eventually leave Bethany is through a, a, a big uh, firing ceremony or something like that. But, but I, understand, I understand the stress, and you do too, right? You, you hear these things, and some of you are, are nodding along and say, okay, I'm not in pastoral ministry, but I, I'm at the same point. The challenge that we, that we face is we must receive the empowering work of the Holy Spirit to do the things that God has called us to do. Colossians 1, 28, 29, one of the foundational verses for our church says what? It says, Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What is that? That is a, that is a spiritual goal. That is not a fleshly goal. Our, our goal as, as a pastor, for example, our goal cannot be a certain size church or to have the accolades of certain people or to have everyone like us or to pe have people look at us and think, wow, what an amazing leader. Like th those fleshly goals cannot be our pastoral goals. We made a spiritual goal. Our goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. That's a God-given, spirit-empowered goal. And not only must our goal be a spiritual goal, the means by which we pursue that goal must be spiritual as well. And what does Paul go on to say in verse 29 of Colossians 1? For this I toil, this is the goal that I'm toiling toward, working, so I'm doing things, working with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. In other words, I'm not doing this ministry through my own means, through my own fleshly means. I'm pursuing a spiritual goal through spiritual means. And that's what I have to be reminded of on a constant basis. Even when my goal is a good goal, if I'm pursuing it through, through fleshly means, I'm going to find that I do not have the resources in and of myself to pursue that goal to which God has called me. It's true for us in whatever ministry God has called you to. You're, you're, a, you're a mom, and you have these, these, these children and these other responsibilities, these ministries that God has entrusted to you, and you do not have the resources on your own to pursue the godly goals that God has called you to. You need spirit-empowered ministry. You're a student, and you're in the, the classroom, and God has called you to, to be a Christ-centered, God-exalting student, and, and you do not have the ability to do that apart from the Spirit enabling you to do so. You need supernatural enabling beyond what you're able to do, and maybe right now at this moment in your life, you feel that reality more than you have ever felt it before. Here's what I want you to know. You need the Spirit. And I want to encourage you this morning that the Spirit is still at work today in you if you are in Christ. Here's the main idea. Here's the main idea I want us to, to write down if you're, you're taking notes. Here's what I want us to think about as we look at what Acts chapter 5 is saying in verses 12 through 16. In these verses, we see this. The Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit confirms the truth and the power of the gospel through supernatural means. The Holy Spirit confirms the truth of, and, and power of the gospel through supernatural means. The Holy Spirit confirms the truth and power of the gospel through supernatural means. And by supernatural, I mean something that occurs outside natural laws, things that, that we have within ourselves. The Holy Spirit works in supernatural ways in the lives of believers. We have d- divine enablement. The things that God is calling you to do this morning, you have the ability to do, not because of who you are, but because of, but because of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit within you. I hope that's encouraging. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three things. And I'm, I say three, but the third one's going to be a lot of smaller things, so I'm, I'm cheating a little bit. Number one, we're going to talk about what, what signs and wonders were. We're going to look at verse 12. What were signs and wonders? And then secondly, we're going to talk about how did God use signs and wonders? What, what was accomplished as God used signs and wonders? And then number three, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit continues to supernaturally work in and through his church. So how does the Holy Spirit continue to work in and through the church? So what were signs and wonders? How did God use them? And then how does the Spirit continue to supernaturally work in the church? So let's, let's first of all talk about what signs and wonders were. And go ahead and open up your Bibles there. If, uh, hopefully you're, they're already open, but open up and look at verse 12 of, verse, of chapter 5. And here's what we read at the beginning of the verse. It says... Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now, you notice there, there are two words that kind of strike out, that kind of are, strike at our attention. One is the word that's translated sign. It says many signs. And what does that word signs mean? That word signs refers to an event that is a an indicator or a confirmation that God is at work, that God has intervened. So a sign is this event that is a confirmation of God being at work. And we see this word sign used throughout the Gospels as it talks about the work of Jesus. So, for example, the Gospel of John uses this word signs frequently. John chapter 2, Jesus performs his, his first miracle there at the wedding in Cana. He turns the water into wine. And John tells us this was the first of his signs. What is it? It's an event that serves as confirmation that God is at work, that God is intervening. So there's this, Jesus does this thing, and it's confirming. It's an event that confirms that God is at work, that this is God-ordained ministry. Verse 20, it says that he did this sign, he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Verse 23, it says, now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, look, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Now, how do we know that? We know that because no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. This is an event that confirms that God is at work. Now, of course, these signs don't guarantee belief. In John chapter 12, it says, though he had done many signs before them, they, that's the people, did not believe in him. So signs got, they're, they're, signs are an indication, an event that indicates and confirms that God is at work, but they don't guarantee belief, that the Spirit needs to work in a person's heart still for them to be able to do that. Now, there's another word that's used here. So that the word signs 
this event. And then there's also this word wonder. I've been told that I, I, I can, whenever I talk, I conglomerate or something, the word wonder and wonder, like I wonder around the wilderness, and I wonder why I can't pronounce that better. But we're talking about W-O-N-D-E-R here, wonder. It's, it's something that it astonishes. So a sign is an event that confirms that God is at work. Wonder is this, this response to that sign. It's something that astonishes because of its association with God. And, and all of us have seen things that cause us to, to be astonished, right? Maybe you've gone traveling and you've, you've stood in the ruins of an ancient Roman city and you've seen the Colosseum or the aqueducts and you've seen the archways and all these, these things that, the, that human beings have been able to, to do. Or maybe you've been to, to Mexico and you've seen the pyramids that the Aztecs built and you've kind of stood on a pyramid and looked out and seen kind of the shape of an ancient city and just been, been in awe. Or maybe you've watched a really cool viral video, and you've just, wow, that's so amazing. Right? Well, here, here there's, there's something that goes way beyond that. This is, a, this is an event that, that can't be explained through human means. There's, there's something that God himself has done that causes us to, to step back and, and be in awe. And as we look at the book of Acts, we see that this word wonder always occurs in conjunction with the word signs. So, for example, we saw it in Acts chapter 2. Peter, quoting Joel chapter 2, says, I will sh- he's quoting Joel chapter 2 where God says, I will show wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth below. And then in verse 22, Peter's talking about Jesus, and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, and he includes the word works there also, but wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. A few verses later, verse 43, it says that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Acts chapter 4, the apostles and the disciples are praying for boldness, and they say, okay, God, make us bold, and while while we're bold, here's what we want you to do. In verse 30 of Acts chapter 4, it says, While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There's a prayer for God to work in a miraculous way as they witness. And then we have our passage here that includes signs and wonders. And then Acts chapter 6, Stephen is described as someone who's doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then Stephen in Acts chapter 7 talks about how Moses did signs and wonders. And then Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 14. Just two more examples. In Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are at Iconium, and the, the Jews are opposing their message. So Paul and Barnabas are saying, here's what the Old Testament, here's what God's word says. And the Jews are saying, no, no, that's not what God's word says. Jesus can't be the Messiah. And then it says in verse 3, there remained a long time, Paul and Barnabas, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the words of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So Paul and Barnabas are proclaiming the gospel. They're encountering opposition. And as the gospel is proclaimed for the first time, God accompanies that proclaiming of the gospel with signs and wonders, confirming events that cause people to step back and be in amazement. 
Acts chapter 15 is the last time that this phrase is used in the book of Acts. Verse 12, it says, as they share at the Jerusalem council, the whole assembly falls silent as they listen to Paul and Barnabas relate what signs and wonders God had done through them and among the Gentiles. As human beings, we are tempted to see signs in everything. I'm thinking about buying a new pair of shoes, and I'm wondering, should I spend the money on this new pair of shoes? And as I'm thinking about that, I I step into a puddle, and I go, oh, this must be a sign. God wants me to purchase new shoes. If If you're a young single person, I mean, you see signs everywhere, right, about what God might be directing for your future life, maybe a future spouse or a future career. You're looking for signs everywhere. Now, what we see with these signs and wonders is that this is something much more powerful. The Spirit himself is working through the authority of Jesus to confirm the truth and the power of the gospel message in incredible and supernatural ways. He's fulfilling the prophetic word. Now, that's the first thing. That's what signs and wonders are. Now, what is the result? Number two, how does God use signs and wonders? And we see this in verses 12 through 16. First of all, we see the response of believers. Now, by the way, as we look at verses 12 through 16, the the chronology is a little funny here. The structure of these verses is a little hard to see. What I think is happening is verse 12 is talking about the signs and wonders, and then verse 15 begins, so that, and I think it's saying, okay, they're doing these signs and wonders, and then verses 15 and 16 describe how the people respond to this. So they're bringing the sick, and they're bringing those who have physical ailments, and those who have demonic possessions, and they're, they're bringing all, or afflictions, and they're bringing them to the apostles. And I think you go back in verse 12b through verse 14, describe kind of some of the, the effects of them doing these, these powerful things. But all that to say, a couple things here. First of all, notice how God uses signs and wonders in the lives of believers. It says in verse 12, they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, I I think that's talking about all the believers, and that word together is a word that we've encountered before. We saw it in chapter 2, and the word means to be of of common purpose, to have the same mind, and I think it can also just mean to be together in one place, but I think it's describing there's a physical togetherness there in Solomon's portico, and that's an area on the eastern wall of the uh, court of the Gentiles. It was a hard time trying to find out how exactly how big it is. We're not exactly sure, but let's, the covered area was probably about a little over 100 feet long and 23 feet wide. The whole wall, though, went 600 feet or so. So anyway, all that to say, it's a large place, and this is where the believers are gathering. And, and the, the work of the Holy Spirit, he's doing these signs and wonders, and the effect on the church is, is unity. The Spirit works, unity results. What about unbelievers? Well, look, Look at, the, look at verse 13. It says, none of the rest dared join them. And that's talking, I think, about unbelievers. So those who were not baptized, those who were not disciples, are standing away from this group. There's a, a fear. And I think the fear is a result of the things that they're doing, the signs and wonders. And it's also, remember what we saw last week, just a few verses earlier, They've heard about what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. There's a recognition 
these Christians are not just some study group. This isn't just some Jewish study group that's talking about the, the text of the Jewish faith. This is, this is a group in which discipleship and, 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 owner and, and participation in is a, a real thing, and they're, they're fearful of associating with it if they're not truly like it. They don't want to be exposed like Ananias and Sapphira were. So there's, there's a fear, even though it says they esteem them. Also, it causes some unbelievers, though, to repent and believe, and that seems to be one of the main points of the text. It says that in verse 14, some, more than ever, some believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So both men and women are, are seeing what's happening, and they're repenting and becoming disciples. And then also, we see some are, are coming to the church for physical and spiritual healing, right? It says that some, as they see these signs and wonders, are carrying out the sick just in the streets and laying them on cots and mats so that just Peter's shadow might even fall on them. And then the people are gathering from the towns around Jerusalem. Everyone's bringing the sick and those who are afflicted with unclean spirits. And notice there's, there's two categories. Sometimes people look at, Old Te- at New Testament believers or Old Testament uh, believers, saints, and they they think, well, they just saw all physical maladies as demonic possession. My, how backwards they were. And no, what we see here is that these, these first century Christians, these first century unbelievers too, understood that there was both a, a spiritual world and a physical world. And some of the concerns that they have are, are just physical. Those are the sick, it describes here. And then some are, some are spiritual ailments. Some are those who it describes as afflicted with unclean spirits, overwhelmed. The, the passive voices used there, they've been overwhelmed by these spiritual forces. And so they recognize that both these realities exist, and both those with physical elements and spiritual elements are coming to the church and what's happening. All are healed, both physical and spiritual. Now, some are going to reject the gospel and oppose the church. That's what we're going to see next week. They're going to make the decision as they see these signs and wonders to actively resist the gospel. But we'll talk about that next week. Here, here's the third thing I want us to think about then, though. I want us to think about how the Holy Spirit continues to supernaturally work within the church. How does the Holy Spirit continue to work within the church? And that might be a very obvious question you have as you encounter this passage, and it's probably the the main question I wrestled with as I thought about these verses. Okay, here are these signs and wonders. How does that relate to the church today? I want to just give you kind of five thoughts to think about as we think about the Spirit's supernatural work today. I I told you I was going to cheat by saying I had three points, but here here are a couple thoughts that I think help us as we think about how the Holy Spirit works today. First thought is this. We need to remember where we are in God's story of redemption. We need to remember where we are in the story of redemption that is God's. When we encounter miracles in the Bible, sometimes our temptation can be, well, why were all these miracles taking place at these times, and why don't they happen now with the same amount of frequency? And I think what we need to understand is, first of all, miracles were also rare in Scripture. This is not a This is not the way that God normally works. It's not like he did this all the time, and then now we're in some sort of dark age spiritually. No, this is miracles, by definition, are God's uh, non-normative work. This is a supernatural thing that God is 
doing. It's always been times of, of, of unique opportunity to receive this type of power or see this type of power at work. In the book of Acts, we see this is a very special moment in God's story of redemption. The signs and wonders are almost exclusively linked with the apostles' ministry. Remember, we've talked before about the apostolic ministry and how right now we are still under the apostolic authority. The authority of the apostles was granted them by God as they wrote down Scripture. And here as they do ministry, this is the special moment in God's redemptive history where God allows these signs and wonders to accompany his work. In fact, this is something kind of interesting as you read through the New Testament. You see this time in which God is doing these signs and wonders kind of, kind of start to come to an end. Remember, I, I said the last time you encounter the word signs and wonders is in Acts 15. You don't see that phrase. You see some miracles throughout the rest of the book of Acts. But as Acts 15 is the church recognizes the ministry to the Gentiles. After that, after that chapter, you don't encounter the phrase signs and wonders anymore throughout the book of Acts. And as you go through the epistles, you see that the means by which God is calling his people to work is not through signs and wonders, but through other works of the Spirit. In fact, Paul, as, he, as he's talking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12 too, he talks to them and he says, look, the signs and wonders of an apostle were performed among you. In other words, this is something that happened as the gospel was proclaimed to you at first, but it's not happening now. Acts Acts seems to describe that reality. Hebrews chapter 2, we'll come back to Hebrews chapter 2 in just a moment, but in Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about signs and wonders in the past tense. It says the gospel was delivered at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and and that seems to be, again, in the past tense. Now, does this this mean that signs and wonders don't still occur? And, And I would say, boy, I'd want to be really careful about saying that, especially the reality that signs and wonders, they may occur in places where the gospel has not yet been preached. I'm, I'm uncomfortable saying that signs and wonders don't occur, but I would say as we look at the epistles, as we look at God's word to the church, to us, about how we should operate and what we should do, we don't see a, an imperative. It doesn't say go do signs and wonders. That's not the means that God gives us for availing ourselves of the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about how God calls us to use the Holy Spirit here in just a minute. Secondly, another thought as we think about the Spirit's supernatural work today, thought number two, we need to believe and obey the Word of God that testifies to the work of the Spirit. You understand what that means? We need to believe and we need to obey the Word of God that testifies to the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, uh, right now, we have God's Word concerning the work of the Spirit. And just like the people in Jesus' day, sometimes our temptation can be to say, God, if you really want me to obey you, send me a sign. Send me a wonder. Allow the Holy Spirit to do something really cool. You know, cause this, this field to catch on fire. No, not this field. Some field somewhere else to catch on fire. You know, just something like really spectacular. Remember what Jesus says? Remember what uh, Jesus says in the story of Abraham's bosom? Abraham tells the rich man who says, look, if just send someone from the dead to warn my brothers, and, and Abraham says, look, if they didn't listen to the apostles, or sorry, they didn't listen to the prophets, they're not even going to listen to someone rise from the dead. And, the, and we see that happen, right? We see Jesus rise from the dead, we see the apostles doing signs and wonders, and, and people, apart from God, 
supernaturally intervening within their heart, they're, they're not going to, to believe, and we need to believe. Here's a third thought as we think about the Spirit's work today. Number three, we need to pray. We need to pray for the supernatural working of the Spirit in this church. Just because signs and wonders aren't happening as they did in the first century doesn't mean that God isn't doing supernatural things, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for them. So let's look at an epistle. Look at the epistle of Ephesians. Paul says this. He says he prays. Listen to this very carefully. Listen to his prayer for supernatural work. He says, I, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Pay, pay careful attention to this. In fact, maybe, maybe meditate on this, these verses later in the week. So he says, I, I pray that the spirit would, would enable you to know him, that God's spirit would work within us in such a way that we can understand who he is, that it says that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He's praying for the spirit to supernaturally help the church know who God is to understand the hope of eternity, to, to right now, to have the supernatural ability to say, okay, this life is not all there is. And as I go through the stresses of pastoral ministry or uh, spousal ministry or work ministry or student ministry, as I go through the difficulties of that ministry that God would supernaturally, through the work of the Spirit, enable me to understand, look, this is not all there is. There is a future inheritance waiting for me, and that is the inheritance toward which I am working. Not the approval of man now, not the accumulation of wealth now, but God would supernaturally allow my, my eyes to be open so that I can comprehend that reality. That is a work that cannot occur apart from the work of the Spirit. He says, I want you to know that the, the power, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might. In other words, the same power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you, helping you become mature and complete in Christ. The power of God is taking you into difficult circumstances and situations and, and allowing you to go through those things that you can continue to become conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is a work the Spirit is a supernatural work of the Spirit that apart from God's enabling, you could not do. Fourth thing here, witness the supernatural working of the Spirit in the church. As you pray for it, then prepare yourself to witness it. I don't want to go long on the first Sunday these precious saints are watching our children. So let me just say very quickly, you can look through the book of Ephesians and witness some of the supernatural work in the spirit of the church. The spirit gives life to the dead. You're spiritually dead and the spirit gives you life. The spirit enables us to understand his word. We see that in Ephesians 1 we just talked about. The spirit enables victory over demonic forces, Ephesians chapter 6. I'm sure none of you who have the spirit within you would argue with me when I say, look, there is a demonic war going on. There is a spiritual world war that is going on in the lives of our saints at this moment, and maybe even in a special way right now, in a unique way in our country. This is a demonic world. 
And it's not against flesh and blood. It is against, it is against the, the, the forces of this world to cause us to not pursue the things of Christ. And then we know that the Spirit gives spiritual gifts to the church. We've talked about it before. We're going to continue to talk about that as we go through this study. But the Spirit gives spiritual gifts. And then the last thing I would encourage you to do as you think about the Spirit's work today is to rejoice. To rejoice as God miraculously brings people to his church. The church is still a place where those who have physical and spiritual needs can come. And even though the, the signs and wonders are not being demonstrated in the same way, the same spirit is still confirming the truth and the power of the gospel through supernatural means through his people as we are a refuge for those who need to hear the gospel message. Let's cry out to God together this morning. Father, we are in need of the Spirit. We cannot in and of ourselves do the things you've, you've asked us to do. We cannot escape the flesh. So we pray for your supernatural work this morning through your Spirit. Father, give us life, give us peace, give us joy, give us the fruit of lives submitted to you fully. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.